0: It was a couple of years ago that uh, I was invited to speak at their reunion for my Christian university. It was actually my 45th reunion, hard to believe. And they asked me to speak on courage. That was the theme for the reunion. And when they asked me, I thought, wow, they asked me to do the keynote for this. And I said to someone, well, "Why? why did you ask me to do that? And they said, well, because you're so Courageous. Well, I really hadn't thought about that. I mean, you don't sit around thinking uh, about yourself that you're courageous, but the person that knew me quite well that had uh, asked me said, uh, you know, you, you're you very bold. You went to be a missionary. You went to a little bush hospital and only the third doctor there and, you know, 300,000 people you all were responsible for. You, uh, you did relief work. You went into war zones and dealt with epidemics and... Uh, He just went on and on, you know, you crashed in an airplane, you've been shot at, you know, and and doing relief work, and uh, you had your team held hostage, and you were dealing with that. So we thought you could bring us a talk on courage. Well, as we think about what we're going through right now, it's something that we all need courage for. Uh, The coronavirus epidemic has uh, changed everyone's lives, put many in jeopardy and uh, it's not done yet. And I know it's impacted many of your practices. And so courage is a hot topic, not only for that reason, but we need what I call sufficient courage because well, all the things that are going on before even the coronavirus, we are more politically polarized than we've ever been and probably since the Civil War here in the United States. I mean, decades and decades. Civility has become a, a distant memory. Uh, many of those that disagree with you uh, want to destroy you. You see that all the time and not just political reams, but in the workplace or whatever. We live in a post-Christian age. And we need sufficient courage as we deal with that. People want to worship at the altar of personal autonomy. Everyone's wanting to do what is right in their own eyes. And the only thing people will not accept is that there's transcendent truth, and they really don't like people that believe that there is. Religious freedom is under attack. Uh, Here at CMDA, we're in the midst of uh, joining with our uh, Health and Human Services uh, Department of the U.S. government in defending some right of conscience regulations. We've got 27 states trying to sue to overturn this, along with the ACLU and Planned Parenthood. My name's on this as a co-defendant. So This is an important issue that's gonna impact our healthcare professionals. And I know you guys are dealing with this type of thing as well with the euthanasia issue that has hit so hard up there, people trying to force you to participate. We we live in a dangerous world and we need uh, courage for that. Um, Terrorism is still out there, the threat of nuclear war, drugs in our communities, uh, but, you know, there's more than that. I, I remember back years ago, we were on the mission field. I'd come home and be speaking in churches, and people would come up to me and ask about the family and the kids. And and uh, almost always, when they got to the kids, somebody would say, how can you take your kids over there into that jungle? Well, we didn't live in a jungle, but they thought all of Africa was a jungle. But one day without thinking, and I had been watching what was going on in the U.S., I turned to the person that asked that and said this. I don't live in a jungle, you do. And kind of paused and they looked at me askance. I said, listen, I can let my kids out ten miles from the hospital and somebody'd bring them home. You're afraid to turn your back in Walmart when your kids are there, that somebody might kidnap them. You're worried about what they're going to see on TV, who's going to give them drugs at school, all these type of issues. That this is a very dangerous world. You have to be courageous to be a parent or grandparent in this day and time, and then the bioethical issues, and we could go on and on about that, but our our technology is expanding faster than our ability to put moral fences around our science, and uh, there's, you know, things like we're dealing with now that are very clear, like abortion, and euthanasia, physician-assisted suicide, but we're moving more and more into gray areas that are going to be tougher with cyborg technology, and chimeras that, uh, you know, combining human and and animal uh, DNA and, and cells and tissues, and where do you go with that? and How far do you go? Um, you know, we're even talking, people are doing uterine vagina transplants into transgender men so they can bear children. Huge issues that we never thought we would be taking care of, but we are in this day and time. So we have to have sufficient courage. Now, I, I didn't say boldness, Uh, Boldness is another term, but I think sufficient courage is is a better way to say it, because sufficient courage is enough to to deal with the situation. Uh, To, well, let's look at it this way. Uh, Paul talked about this. It's an interesting time in Paul's life. Paul was in prison in Rome in 62 AD. He knows he's probably going to be executed, and he finally was. He was beheaded. Uh, led a CMDA tour into Italy uh, about this time last year, and we went to the traditional site where he was uh, beheaded. And he was writing to the Philippians, and he said this, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain." Uh, He had sufficient courage. We think about his life and all the things he did from imprisonment to, uh, you know, being in uh, storms and shipwrecked and flogged, and it just went on and on. So how do we define sufficient courage? It's not that you're fearless before danger, but it's a willingness to do something that is dangerous or frightening despite your fear. That's sufficient courage. So how do you have that? How do you and I have sufficient courage, and how do you instill it in others, your children, your grandchildren, your colleagues, those you may work with or be responsible for? First, you have to willingly pursue it. For some people, it may seem more natural, but for most of us, it's willingly pursuing it. So how do you go about it? Well, I want to give you four or five points that, as I look back over my life, it made the key difference in helping me to have sufficient courage. First of all, is a willingness to find role models, a willingness to find role models, to associate, to to hang out with the bold. We see this in the Bible again and again, Elijah and Elisha. You know, Elisha, as Elijah was about to be taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire, he he followed Elijah. He didn't want to leave him. Elijah kept saying, go back, go back. And he he, he refused to. And just before Elijah was swept up to heaven, he asked him, uh, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha, saying to Elijah, I want to be like you. I, I, I In fact, I want to be more than you. You've had such an impact on my life. We see that with Paul as he mentored Barnabas and John Mark and Timothy. We see it with Jesus, with the disciples. You know, they were fearful with the persecution they had, and after the crucifixion they hid. But as the Holy Spirit came, God provided sufficient courage to them. And I'm sure they remembered back of watching Jesus, how he handled all these difficult situations and, and role modeled themselves after him. I think of that impact in my whole life. My my dad was a, a pastor. My brother and I were born uh, when he was in a pastor at a little country church in Kentucky. Uh, the first two years of our life were there. My sister was already born, and, and dad was a wonderful pastor in this little country church. But God began speaking to his heart to call him into evangelism from going church to church, holding special services, and with three little kids under the age of four, two meetings on his Schedule. He went down and borrowed money, bought an old used house trailer, hooked it up to the Oldsmobile, and off we went in evangelism. That's where I spent the first three years after that. Parked by little churches out in the country where dad was preaching and sharing the gospel and and helping people grow in Christ and some come to Christ. What boldness that was. I, I didn't realize two years later what an example that was. And he, he preached all over the country. We traveled with him in the summer to camp meetings and services. And it was a great time for us to be together. And then as missions came on the forefront, short-term missions, he was right on the forefront of that, and started his own organization called Go International, taking people to mission back in the 60s. He, he then showed me courage and helped me gain courage. Uh, he sent me off to a boarding school. Me and mom couldn't afford it. It was a Christian boarding school down in Florida. We lived in Kentucky. It was, mom had to teach school, and all that money pretty much went for us to go to a boarding school, but it had such an impact on my life. I wouldn't be where I was today if it hadn't been for what I had learned and was exposed to there. Uh, it took me on my first mission trip when I was a freshman in high school. That was 1965. My friends hadn't been in an airplane, much less halfway around the world. But dad wanted to expose me to the needs of the world and be a role model to me. In missions, I wonder if I would have ended up on the mission field and answering God's call if it hadn't been for that. I think of Dr. Ernie Stury, the founder of uh, Tenwick Hospital, where I served for 11 years. If you haven't read Miracle at Tenwick, it's a book that you'd love to read of Ernie's life. What a you know farm boy didn't speak English until he was six. He spoke Swiss and in Indiana and in a farming community, big family. Uh, ended up being a missionary doctor because he answered God's call, and one of the most godly men, never had a surgery residency, had just an internship, best surgeon I ever operated with. He could do anything, and had been there at Tenwick, and I went there as a college student, and he had me live in his house, and I took call with him, and he let me deliver my first baby, and and then came back uh, planning to go back after that experience. During medical school, and, and he mentored me again, and then went during residency. And the impact he had on me because of his boldness—it could do anything. We'd go operate and go down and fix the generator. We would uh, go up to deliver a problem delivery and come down and work on an engine in one of the vehicles. Uh, just a marvelous guy, and that I know wiped, off, wrapped, wrapped off on. I know that uh, came on to me as I got next to him. It just kind of clung to me in those days. And then, you know, being hired here at CMDA as we've hired people, I've thought of that. And as we recruit, we always look for the six C's when I recruit. This might be helpful to you if you've got employees. We look for those that are committed to Christ. Of course, we're a Christian organization. Those who are called to this, I tell people this isn't a job, this is a calling. Uh, We look at their character. It's so important that people have character because you can't implant that in them. And then we look at the chemistry. Do they fit with the group? Do they they really fit in? We don't want sand in the wheels. And then I look for courage, people who are willing to take chances and make a difference and try new things. And then finally, we look for competency because you can teach competency. That's the least important where oftentimes we do that more than anything else. I'm going to give you some quotes from a book I wrote with one of my former staff, Dr. Reverend Bert Jones, and it's called um, Servant Leadership. And servant leadership says this, a servant leader is a person with the seemingly contradictory qualities of being bold and humble, egoless and empowering, and credit worthy and credit giving. Uh, that's something that should stick at that courage of being bold and humble. is one of the key things for leadership and so important. Second thing is this, willing to risk, willingness to risk. There's no courage without risk. Rahab, the harlot, uh, you think of her life. She, she risked her own life to hide Joshua's men when they came, the spies coming into Jericho. Uh, she ensured the safety of her family by saying, you know, oh, we don't want to be killed with everyone else. And they said, hang a, a red scarf out your window and your, uh, your house will not be destroyed and, as Jericho walls fell. She lied to the king's men, sent them off when they came asking about where the spies had gone, and turned out to be the great great grandmother of King David. I wonder how that was passed on to her children and then on down uh, to David and had such an impact on his life. Uh, but willingness to risk. Esther had a willingness to risk. Uh, if I perish, I perish, she said when uh, she go before the king and knew she could be killed if he didn't uh, nod at her with his scepter. Uh, We think of Gideon reducing his force to 300 men. What a risk that was to go against a mighty army with so few people, but God told him to do that, and he risked it. We think of Moses going back to Egypt after he was a wanted man for murder, and they had long memories and went and stood before Pharaoh and demanded let his people go, putting his life at risk because God asked him to do that. We think of Peter speaking before the Sanhedrin after the resurrection and refusing to shut up about the resurrection and the preaching that he was doing. This is willingness to risk is the key to being courageous because without risk, there is no no need for courage. If the greatest risk often bring the greatest rewards for God's kingdom, and I've I've seen that in in my own life. uh, When I've been willing to step out with sufficient courage and take a risk, that's when it's often been the greatest impact. Uh, I remember when we were building our hydroelectric plant at Tenwick. I mean, it seemed like an impossible thing. We didn't have the experts, we couldn't get the, the permits to do it, we didn't have the money, and yet the hospital had electricity 11 hours a day, and in stepping out and taking the next step. I, I When I talk about courage with young missionaries, I'll say, just figure out where God wants you to go And then what is the first thing you would need to do to get there and do that and then the next thing. So how do you know if you're taking enough risk? If you're not scared at least some of the time, you aren't taking enough risk. If you're not scared at least some of the time, you're not taking enough risk. And uh, I I think that uh, is a great measuring uh, measuring stick. To attain something significant, you have to be willing to risk something substantial. I know when I finished my residency, I graduated uh, in the top five in my medical school and uh, class and went off to residency, was chief resident, I was recruited for practices, recruited to teach in the residency program. And as people approached me, different ones, you know, I'd say, oh, No, I'm going as a missionary to Africa and you, they looked at you like, are you nuts? I mean, this it's crazy, you're taking your family, you're taking your young kids. We had uh, two kids when we went and uh, it, it seemed risky to a lot of people, but to really attain something significant, you have to be willing to risk something substantial. That doesn't mean I didn't have a responsibility for my children, my wife, and to do the, the best and safest thing I could for them, but that wasn't to, to to take care just of us, it was to answer God's call and do what he asked us to do and trust him, and we'll talk more about that later. Courage is revealed by your actions, not by your words. Wow. Reveal by your actions, not by your words. A lot of people think they have faith, but they never exercise it. You want to strengthen your faith? It's a muscle, and you have to exercise it to strengthen it. I remember going uh, uh, into Somalia the first time. I had been at World Medical Missions, working with Mission Hospital, sending doctors overseas, and uh, then the Somali thing broke out in the uh, early uh, 1990s, And uh, the U.S., U.N. went in, the U.S. went in, a bunch of different groups in. The military, it was civil war, it was famine, it was a mess. And I remember getting on a plane and heading into Kenya, trying to figure out a way to get into Somalia and uh, not knowing anybody there, trying to figure out how we could go in and help. And uh, it was risky. I mean, people, everyone was carrying guns. There was no, it was lawlessness. I could tell you story after story of God's faithfulness, but we saw over 45,000 patients and had an opportunity to bring many people to Christ, and that never would have happened if we hadn't been willing to risk it. Have you ever played the game, uh, board game uh, called Risk? Um, The goal is to conquer the world. You had these armies. I remember playing it when I was younger. Uh, I found this wonderful quote from uh, Chuck Swindoll. He said this, when the score is added up one day and we stand before the Lord, many of us will wish we had played a lot more risk and a lot less trivial pursuit. Uh, We can get so busy doing things that we forget to do the most significant things, things sometimes that revolve around risk. Not only do you need to have a role model and be willing to take risks, but you need to be willing to fail. Now, that's an interesting topic, isn't it? Because people are adverse to failure, and let's do everything. I don't want to fail. Uh, many people fear failure so much that they don't try. They don't step out in faith. Um, you know what I tell my staff when I was here at CMDA as the, uh, as the CEO? I would tell them again and again, I expect you to fail. First time you'd say that to a new staff member, they go, what, what, what are you talking about? I go on to say this, I expect you to fail because if you aren't failing some, you're not risking enough. Let's try a new idea, and if it doesn't work, we'll try something else. If you're not failing at least some of the time, you're not skating close enough to the edge of the ice. That's true for all of us, and the fear of failure and unwillingness not to fail an unwillingness to fail can really make it very difficult to develop courage, and it demonstrates that you don't have it. Remember, we went going to Kenya. My wife Jody had one great fear because she had seen all these missionary pictures of these huge uh, boa constrictors, anacondas, in Africa. I remember that from her childhood, and she had this picture in her mind of one of our kids dying in her arms after being bit by a black mamba or a green mamba or spitting cobra, spitting its eyes or whatever. And uh, she was just paralyzed with fear. And uh, I was trying to encourage her as we were going. And I'd say, honey, do this. Imagine the worst and accept it. She'd look at me like, uh, imagine the worst and accept it. If you, she was here today, she'd say, I got to that point. And I got to the point to realize that if God let this happen, he'd give me the strength I needed to deal with it when the time came. And I didn't need to worry about it because uh, I was willing to see that failure, willing to take that risk. Our greatest fear should not be failure, but of succeeding at things in life that are really not important. Francis Chan said that, and it it's so wise. Our greatest fear should not be failure, but of seceding at things in life which really aren't important. When we talk about what God's will is for us and what he wants us to do and how we can use our influence for his kingdom, we have to be willing to step out, willing to fail. Winston Churchill wasn't a perfect man, but he had sufficient courage in the terrible dark hours of World War II and communicated to his country and to the world. I like what he said. He said this, Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. Wow. We think about that with Peter. And uh, Peter, and when Christ turned to him at Caesarea Philippi and, and asked him, Who who am I? And he said, Thou art Christ, the Son of the living God. And then he very boldly said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He he, Christ looked at him and said, you're the foundation of what's going to be coming. I've trained you, I've mentored you, and, and uh, you know, have this insight, and, uh, you know, what a proud moment. And before you know it, just a short time afterwards, he's denying Christ three times. But then Christ came back at the Sea of Galilee and asked him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And, and he becomes back into fellowship and becomes the leader for the disciples in the early church. The failure of he had was not final. And if uh, we look at situations, we need to remember that. We serve a God who's able to take our defeats and our missteps and use them to bring glory to his name. We serve a God like that. Uh, we wrote, I wrote this in Leadership Proverbs The courageous must persevere in pioneering new territory. You are likely to discover danger, difficulty, disappointment, discouragement, and even defeat in uncharted territory. Before reaching the promised land, there's always a desert. Wow, isn't that true? And we look back on your life and my life, and I see those deserts. I see those difficult times. My first year at CMDA was the hardest year of my life. And I've already told you I've been shot at, crashed in planes. We had a horrendous year that first year financial issues, and I won't go into all the details, but it was tough. But then God took us to a place we never imagined for this organization is through courage. We took the steps, moved the organization, encouraged our staff to move. None of them moved. We started over a year after I came on here in Bristol, Tennessee. But you look back and that was the critical, critical moment in CMBA's history in the last 25 years that made such a huge difference in our future. A willingness to learn, a willingness to learn, Uh, I teach new missionaries. We've trained over 500 new medical missionaries here at our CMDA headquarters. And uh, they come in in groups of 20 or 30 sent by all sorts of organizations, giving them training beyond what they're going to get with their their mission. And uh, because medicine's a whole different ball of wax when it comes to missions and other forms of missions. So trying to help them prepare. And one of the talks I do is called uh, Playing God and Other Ethical Issues in Missionary Medicine. And one of the topics that uh, we always touch on is non-malfeasance. We go through the the Georgetown mantra of doing good and non-malfeasance, the whole whole group of those. And as I get to non-malfeasance, I usually start with that. And, um, you know, do no harm, do no harm. In fact, that's ingrained in us as we're doing training. You don't do things you're not trained to do. If you don't, that's malpractice. That's malfeasance. That's, it's bad to do. And then I turn to them and say, Let me tell you something. That won't last one week when you get to the mission field because there's nobody to refer to. There's nobody to call. And if something comes in, you've got to do it. And we go through then how do you ethically approach that when you're doing things that you're not trained to do. But one of the things that always brings back to me was how much of learning experience it was for me as a new missionary. I mean, I was well-trained in my family practice residency. I learned to do C-sections and maternity work and you know, I got an extra surgical training and I thought I was well prepared when I got to Tenwick and I was well prepared as far as what I could get here. But I learned more in the first couple years at Tenwick than I learned in my whole residency. I mean, it, uh, it's crazy. And after being there 11 years, there wasn't a week that went by that there wasn't something i had never seen before or something I did that I'd never done before because I was a missionary doctor. That willingness to learn was so important, and you have to have the courage to do that. 2 Timothy 2.15 addresses this, study to show yourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The whole idea of being a continual learner and not afraid to jump into things that you may not feel comfortable with because God lays them on your heart is part of courage are going through a difficult situation as we are right now and you have to learn things you may never have done before in finance or public health or whatever it may be and change your whole practice and set up new systems and learn from others that are doing it. This is part of courage. Uh, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. That's what I remind myself of when I get into these situations where I'm continually having to learn uh, Proverbs four thirteen uh, says that so clearly. Always ne- learning, never using the excuse, I don't know how to do that. Uh, do you have continual courage to, to, to learn what you need to know to do what God wants you to do? If you can't do something superb, it's something else I wrote in Leadership Proverbs. If you can't do something superb, do it unremarkably till you get better at it. Experts weren't born that way if you can't do something superbly, do it unremarkably till you get better at it. Experts weren't born that way. I was thinking back as I was speaking on this topic the first time, uh, you know, when we got to Africa as missionaries, I had to learn a new language. I had to learn, learn a new culture. Uh, I learned to operate a ham radio so we could talk back to the States and got my ham radio license. Uh, we were the first mission hospital I know of in uh, in Africa and probably in many places around the world, uh, to employ computers way back in 1983. And I even, we needed to do some database work, and there wasn't anything out there that would work for us. And so I learned how to program, got some books and started studying, and doing basic programs, starting community development work. I'd never done anything like that. Uh, and doing community health and, and trying to prevent uh, the 50% mortality rate, 50% admission rate for preventable diseases. And that that program's now grown to 1.5 million people uh, being in, impacted using volunteers from the community and uh, psychosocial teaching methods and dramas and songs. And I delved in and visited other programs that were doing anything at all, learning from the good things they did learning from their mistakes and and reading, and looking for experts, and getting information. I learned how to milk cows, and when we got into development, and how to uh, to grow uh, things in a greenhouse, and hybrid plants, and distribute them, and chicken projects, and the list just goes on and on. Started a nursing school, nothing I had something I'd never done before. Evangelism training program, started chaplaincy training school, uh, you know, built a hydroelectric plant as I mentioned. I mean, the list just goes on and on. It didn't stop there. When I went to Samaritan's Purse and heading up world medical missions, uh, you know, started their medical relief work, never done that before, going into Somalia, Sudan, Rwanda during the genocide, uh, how to manage a U.S. organization, coming to the Christian Medical and Dental Association with God brought us here. I didn't know anything about student ministry on campuses. I had gone to some of the meetings when I was uh, at the University of Louisville that CMDA had, but I know nothing about running a ministry. I'd never done media interviews to speak of. Uh, governance, strategic planning. I mean, the list goes on and on. Willingness to continually learn even outside your area of expertise when God calls you to do them. So willing to find an example, willing to take risk, willing to fail, willing to learn, and then that adds up to willingness to lead. A willingness to lead because leadership is simply this, it's influence. All of us are leaders with somebody. It may be our children, it may be our family, it may be our practice. Uh, Everywhere we touch, uh, people are crying out for leaders. And we need to have the courage, uh, a willingness to lead, and the courage to do it. How do you know if you're a leader? Uh, I've written a couple books on leadership, so uh, I've thought a lot about this. The easiest way to know whether you're a leader is to turn around and see if anyone's following because that's what leadership is. It's not position, it's not power, it's not money. It's none of those things. Leadership is the ability to influence people so that they follow your example and learn from you. We see that in God's Word, Matthew 4, 19, because Christ, Jesus, was our great leader, the greatest leader that ever lived, and he said, follow me, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. If if you model yourself after me, if you learn from me, I will make you fishers of men. Matthew 16, 24. If anyone will follow me after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Following, following, following. And that's how we have influence on in other people. My dad used to say, and imprinted it on my mind. He said it again and again to me. David, the greatest investment of a man or woman's life is to invest it in the lives of others. He said, the only thing you're going to take to heaven with you is other people. Everything else is going to be left behind. And so use your leadership skills to make a difference and influence people. Essential leadership quality, courage, the will to sail into the wind and storm where others fear to go. Uh, Courageous leadership is contagious. No one follows the fearful. They are drawn to the daring. There's this integration of courage and leadership, the courage to stand up, when others will not, and to speak out when others will not speak out. Willingness to act when others will not act. willingness to tackle problems that need to be addressed. All of these things are integrated into leadership, and they require courage. And willingness to do that is one of the keys uh, for influencing other people, for Christ and in the workplace. And then next, a willingness to pay the price, a willingness to pay the price. Too many leaders want the privilege of leadership without paying the price of leadership. Leadership has a price tag and it's called sacrifice. Uh, Too many leaders want the privilege of leadership without paying the price of leadership. Success has a a price tag and it's called sacrifice. So if personal sacrifice is needed, the courageous, what do they do? They go to the front of the line. 2 Corinthians 6, 4 through 6 talks about. Here's Paul writing again. Our work as God's servants gets validated or not in the details. People are watching us as we stand our post, alertly, unswervingly, in hard times, tough times, bad times, when we're beaten up, jailed and mobbed, working hard, working late, working without eating, with pure hearts, clear heads, steady hand, and gentleness, holiness, and honest love. Wow, that's sacrifice. And that's what it's talking about. When I was at Tenwick, and I'm using some examples of them because it's so imprinted on my mind. But uh, second term, I finished our first term, came back, and Dr. Sturry was going on home assignment furlough, as we called it back then, and he asked me to be in charge of the whole hospital. I was 36, and by then we were 250 bed hospital, 400, 500 employees, and asked me to be the uh, CEO while he was gone. Well, then he got seriously ill and essentially came didn't come back for. Four years and I was left there. It was it was a, a challenging time, uh, but I was uh, well. I had to pay the price a lot because we had so many issues that we needed to be dealt with. And I was still practicing full time, leading the hospital full time. The same time did that hydroelectric project that gave us twenty four hour electricity. Uh, it was unbelievable how God worked to make that happen and brought the right expertise. I even kept all the books for the project because our accountant at the hospital couldn't handle it. It was doing that at night. Uh, the community development program, the nursing school that we started, we had six trained nurses when I got there. How do you start a nursing school when you don't have any nurses, but you've got to have a nursing school to get nurses? And pulling that out of the hat, just seeing God's hand and what he did. Build a new maternity unit, a new administrative block, a lab, a new lab, a new pharmacy, a new outpatient area, a new radiology, equipped it, all. just tons of stuff. I was working way too much, to be honest with you, but it, it took extraordinary effort on top of what we were already doing to get us out of the place where we were. There's a price to pay. And that still is the same thing when I look at my life as a leader. Back in 2008, we had severe financial problems all around the world, as we're now having with the coronavirus and we had to give a, uh, give everybody uh, in CMDA a reduction in salary, I made sure I was the first one to take that percentage of my salary off because that's how leaders do. You're willing to sacrifice. You're willing to pay the price. And lastly, willingness to trust God. That's the most important, and that's where many people hang up with their courage. You've got to trust God when he asks you to do things and be willing have sufficient care and courage to follow his call and his direction. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything. You heard that, anything. That's everything. But in every situation, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Uh, courage is dependent not on something we pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, It's dependent on us trusting God. You have courage when your relationship with God triumphs over your fear. Courage isn't a sin, but worry is. I'll say that again. Courage isn't a sin, but worry is. It demonstrates a lack of trust in God. And so you have to, as you deal with difficult situations, and all of us do, that's when we need to lean on God and find his sufficiency. Uh, Joshua 1 9 another one of my favorite verses have I not commanded you be strong and courageous do not be terrified do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go Uh, that was uh, as Joshua was taking over after Moses what a leader to follow Uh, it's one of my favorite verses And, and the question I ask myself and ask you as well do you believe that are you practicing that because faith without works is dead. James tells us that. We can say, yes, I've got faith. I trust God. I believe in God. He's sufficient. But are you acting like it? And that's where courage comes in, the courage of following your convictions of what God has asked you to do. One courageous act can alter the future for years to come. Be audacious. Be audacious. Uh, yeah, little, when I went to Tinwick, it was a little teeny mission hospital, 130 beds. I was the third doctor. We had six trained nurses. We were averaging 180% occupancy. Now Tinwick is one of the best known mission hospitals in the world. That wasn't due to me. That was due to God. But God used me while I was there. And uh, would that have happened if I hadn't taken that first courageous step? And when I was recruited, said, no, God has called me. I'm going Uh, that is such an important aspect of whatever God's asking you to do. And it may not be the mission field for the vast majority of you won't be, but he's got something where your courageous act can make a huge difference in someone's life, in a program, in a practice, in an organization like uh, CMDA Canada. Uh, This is an opportunity. Um, God's going to put it in front of you, and as you trust him, it's going to make a huge difference. And here's the verse I often claim when I'm in these difficult situations. The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? As some of you know, I I do a lot of public policy and media, debated some of the top uh, liberal ethicists in this country, um, sued the state of California uh, over physician-assisted suicide, actually won the first round of that, was deposed by the attorney general of the state. All sorts of things that I never imagined that I would be doing. And you get in those situations, you just have to remember, God, you're here with me. You're my helper. I will not be afraid. What can men do to, for, to me? God is looking for willing people. He's looking for Esther's. He's looking for Mary's. He's looking for Gideon's. He takes ordinary people and does extraordinary things as they are courageous for him. Let me close with this little story. And when I was in Somalia, we were trying to figure out how to win Muslims for Christ. And, it, you know, you went out and passed out tracts on the streets or preached or opened a church. Somebody had pull a pin on a grenade and put it in your pocket or threw it in the door. And uh, so we focused on our staff. We hired a lot of Muslim uh, Islamic staff, uh, some with medical training, some with not, to work with our group. And every night we had to pack medicines. We did unit dose packaging because we were seeing thousands of people. And I think we saw forty-five thousand people in nine months with our little team, and um, and so I told the staff. I said, you know, uh, we're our volunteers. We go all go down in the evening, and we pack medicines with the staff. And so, how do we reach them with the gospel? So I turned to them and I said, uh, our Islamic staff. I said, listen. Um, I don't know much about Islam. Could you bring your Korans? And for the next week while we're packing medicine, I want you to teach me about Islam. And so they brought in their Qurans and, and went around the table and telling us things about their religion. And then I turned to them and said, well, okay, that was great. I learned so much. How would you like to learn something about Christianity? And for the next week, we started bringing our Bibles and we kept that conversation going. It went on indefinitely while we are there. And, and a good number of those staff came to Christ. One of them was a young guy named Muhammad. And Muhammad, uh came to me after uh, he came to Christ and I gave him a Bible. And he said, Dr. Stevens, can you give me a Bible? Uh, I said, I gave you a Bible. I said, no, I need more Bibles. I said, why? He said, well, I've started a Bible study. I said, you know, that's really dangerous. He said, yeah, but, but I've got people in the community and they're coming to my house. And so I gave him some Bibles. A few weeks later, he came back and he wanted more Bibles. And I said, uh, what happened to the ones I gave you before? He said, well, it's grown too big and I've started two other Bible studies. And I wonder what happened to Muhammad. Things got so dangerous in Somali we finally had to leave, but he was still there as a shining light. When I get to heaven, one of the first things I'm going to do is look up Muhammad because he demonstrated courage to me and trusting God. And what impact has he had for the gospel? What impact can you have? That's the question we each need to ask ourselves. God, give me sufficient courage to be your ambassador in this day and this time. May God bless
1: you. Dr. Stevens, how do you tell when you're being courageous and when your pride and ego are leading you astray?
0: Mm. Well, that's a good question. I think having good counselors uh, is important, accountability agents. One of the great blessings of my life uh, was working very closely, as I mentioned, with Dr. Stury and now with Dr. Gene Rudd when I was at CMDA. And uh, we could be very frank with each other. Um, uh, you know, sometimes pride can be a problem on both sides of the equation, though. One is pride, you are doing something because you're afraid it will look prideful. And uh, I think it's more of an attitude than it is of exactly what you're doing. You can do things that are aggressive and, and courageous at the same time, um, be humble about it, give credit to others. Um, I write a lot in Leadership Proverbs about the importance of giving credit away. And here at CMDA, I've done that, uh, tried to do it continually with my staff because I mean, it'd be impossible for the things we accomplished to happen if it hadn't been for uh, the wonderful staff that uh, we worked with and so Um, and, and I do that, um, even in media and things like that. When I'm debating people, uh, I want them to know that though we may disagree, I respect and care for them. I was debating, a uh, live radio, uh, from a guy from Compassion and Choices on euthanasia. And, uh, you know, I started out by saying, you know, you and I both have the same goal. We want people to die well. The question is, how do we do that? And, uh, and after it was all over, he wrote me a note and uh, to my communications director and said, uh, tell Dr. Stevens how much I enjoyed being with him. I, I wanted him to feel affirmed at the same time I, I vigorously disagreed with him. So I think a lot of it's in your attitude and uh, how you communicate with others.
1: Thank you for that. So our next question uh, is courage. Is one anointed with courage for specific times and events in our lives?
0: I believe so, uh, you see God um, give you the courage to, to take a step uh, that you would normally have taken, but uh, you know the other question is is, is courage something that you 're born with or is just something you can develop? I believe some people are born much more courageous than others and daring, but at the same time it 's a learnable uh, uh, ability uh, to have courage and as I spoke about exercising your faith, you exercise your courage as well the more courageous you are in the past gives you confidence to try again. And uh, as I mentioned in the thing, it, being willing to fail. I mean, I have not been successful at everything I did. I could have given you a whole list of things that I didn't, I didn't accomplish. We just did a, a, a camp financial campaign at CMDA the last year or two I was there. Our goal was to raise uh, a bunch of money in current funds and $10 million in planned giving. We did never reached our goal. We got about uh, 20% of it. 25% of our goal for current funding, but we doubled the goal that we had set for plan giving. That was God's plan. It wasn't mine. I failed. i failed many times. and uh, But you've got to be willing to pick yourself up, and go forward again, and uh, give God the glory when you are successful because really that's the bottom line. He's enabled it to happen.
1: So our next question is, how do you avoid being pushy when you clearly see what you feel needs to be changed,
0: well, I, the first thing is to is to have good reasoning for what you're trying to do. Second is taking the load on yourself. Uh, you know, oftentimes people aren't willing to step up to be the leader or, or to give the funds or do whatever that needs to be done to really get the thing going, and so. Uh, I think it's very important that you, you, you're out front setting an example. And then as you're trying to create uh, others, uh, I've had my board tell me no on some things. I've also had a chair, of, a chair of the board tell me not to talk when they were discussing something because it said, as soon as you get into it, then we, we've really settled the matter by then. Uh, because I can be pretty persuasive. And that's one of the skills of leadership is persuading other people to share your vision and get on board with you. Uh, so sometimes it's not the right time. You just have to realize that others haven't carried that vision as you have, and, and maybe it's going to be later. Maybe it's going to be never. But you do that with the right attitude as well, and uh, and be humble, uh, especially uh, as uh, as leaders. I was with the board of Governors. Uh, You know what they said, I did. Sometimes I didn't agree with a decision that was, I you know, remember we changed our mission statement, I really didn't like it, I expressed that, they still wanted to go that way, we said, okay, that's fine, that's what we'll go with, but uh, you got to be willing to accept uh, authority, even as a leader, and I think that's important as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Our next question is, where do you draw the line between a foolish risk and a wise risk?
0: Wow, yeah. You know, it so depends on the the situation uh, and and that you're dealing with. I mean, I mentioned just very briefly that we used to be in Dallas and we moved to Bristol, and we sold the only asset we had, which was our building, and we were in financial difficulties when I came on, and uh, we were offered free office space in a pharmaceutical company. There was a lot of eyebrows raised when that happened. And, you know, were they trying to get to our members to sell their medications? What happened if they went bankrupt? What if they sold the company? I mean, there are all sorts of things. And we had a three-day board meeting over it. And it was a big risk, Uh, but it took our overhead to zero. And uh, we encouraged our staff to move and none of them moved. We started over. Everybody got severance, everybody had jobs at that time because unemployment was so low in Dallas. But it was, it was a huge step of faith and the board made the decision but I was the one advocating for it. So I think some checks and balances helped that and not every board member voted for it and uh, the majority did, the vast majority. So yeah, it's, I, I think um, I, I know a foolish risk that I've not taken thinking that's crazy and putting all our eggs in one basket. So you have a fiduciary responsibility as a leader of an organization. You've got staff responsibilities at the same time. So seeking counsel, getting in prayer, looking for God's will, casting the vision, and then be willing if it's something that goes up to the board level to accept whatever they decide.
1: Great, we have time for one more question and we thank everyone else who put their excellent questions and comments in the chat. Uh, So when things are failing, how do you discern when God's trying to point you in a different direction versus when you should persist in that direction?
0: Well, you know, I've had three career changes and, uh, but my big, my problems been on the other end of it. Not that I'm failing, but that I was very successful. And then now, why are you leaving? Uh, and people not understanding that, um, but there's there's sometimes when you get to the point and you realize it's just not working. It may not be working in your job situation. Uh, I had a situation I back in the past where I was in a situation, and I knew within six months after being there that I wasn't going to be there long term. But I, I knew God had called me to that place, and I, I remember praying and discussing with God. And I said, God, I'm not going to run away. I'm going to run to what you have next. And when you're ready to let me know what that is, I'll let you know I'm ready to go. So God has his timing for for everything. And uh, I think that's when you just spend more time on your knees and seeking what he wants and what he wants you to do. Uh, A few close advisors to give you direction and then you move forward. And uh, sometimes it's a step of faith. Every time it's a step of faith, whether you're leaving something or whether you're going to it. Um, but it it takes, uh, I've learned to listen to my spouse, listen to my advisors, and most of all, listen to the Lord. Listen, it's been great to be with you guys. Let me say that before I sign off, and we're praying for you during the rest of your meeting today, but it's been a blessing to be with you and such a privilege. May God bless you. We thank our biggest disappointment, we didn't come up to meet you in person, but we'll look forward maybe to that sometime in the future.
1: Thank you so much, Dr. Stevens. I know Dr. Michelle Corvermaker wants to come on for just a moment to say a few words.
0: So um,
1: I just want to thank you, David, for coming and um, speaking to us and encouraging us and challenging us from God's word. And thank you for pointing us to ultimately needing to trust God and be willing to trust him and um, go and do what he's calling us to do. And thanks for taking time to be with us.
0: Thank you so much. God bless.
1: God bless you.